Hey guys, welcome back to the R Squared Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, we're back this week. It's a great Tuesday. We've got some uh, news to go over. We're your hosts. I'm Ian. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore IM. I'm Akash. You can find me on Twitter at YZR underscore Fantasy. So um, the first thing that we want to get into after kind of another hectic week, I won't say it's as hectic as the last one, but we saw Deshaun Watson go to the Cleveland Browns. So we're just going to talk about what that means from a fantasy perspective, uh, especially in terms of like the weapons, the offense as a whole, and what we can kind of expect if there's anything that we see that we might buy into or we think he's overhyped and you should stay away. But it's the offseason, there's a ton to filter through. So I'll start with Akash. Who would you say is the biggest winner of this Deshaun Watson to Cleveland deal? Uh, as of right now, it's uh, Amari Cooper. Because it, before it was looking like, okay, he's going to play with Baker and the offense isn't going to be uh, high volume or efficient. And so with his lower, like over his career, he's earned a 21 to 20% target share. And so with that on this offense, it's probably not going to result in very good production. But now with Watson, we're probably going to see a more efficient offense. I doubt that they run as much as they do in previous years because if Kevin Stefanski only throws like 30 times a game and just keeps running with Nick Chubb, he's going to get like fired or something for capping Watson. <laughs> and so um, uh, this is better for Amari. It's similar to what he saw in Dallas where I don't think he's going to be a wide receiver one unless he catches a bunch of touchdowns, but he could totally be a wide receiver two. Yeah, and I, I think you hit that on the head that Amari Cooper is the biggest winner of this deal. But I think for you as well, he could be the winner of this deal, and we still don't love him in Dynasty, <laughs> whether he's the winner right. or not. So, like, Because people just move him up way too highly. I saw something, I think it was on Instagram. I don't use Instagram very much for fantasy football, but I saw someone say that um, Watson's number one receiver has never averaged under 17 points per game. And, and like, yeah, that's true, but it's also because his number one wide receiver was DeAndre Hopkins. And yeah. so I think there's going to be, uh, so far it looks like the hype is probably too much for Amari Cooper where I'm not going to have a lot of him, but it's definitely going to make him, he's definitely going to be relevant next year. Oh but yeah, definitely. I said right now, like I said, who's the biggest winner right now is Amari Cooper. Because they could totally sign someone like Jarvis or Fuller, or even Odell. I don't know if the organization like totally cut ties with Odell. Maybe they have, but if they I sign... Saw, um, he said he's interested in returning. I saw that before we started I mean, recording. Yeah, Deshaun Watson's a really good quarterback. And so yeah, I would... I, don't know, I, I guess I'd be interested too if I was in his position. But um, if they sign someone like that, they could totally be productive alongside Amari Cooper. I'd probably like him more at cost where Fuller's just consistently priced down because people worry about him being like injury prone Jarvis Landry everyone calls him slow and wash now even though he had a 25% target share last year I remember um looking into this because someone was talking to me about him being old slow and bad after the catch where his um yak per reception was like not bad at all it was right alongside his career average and uh third worst of his career like he was worse um, like one of his Miami years was worse and one of his Cleveland years was worse, I think off the top of my head. And then scrimmage yards over expected was, it wasn't the worst of his career either. And so I don't think he's washed up at all. I think people are just driving a narrative. He was in a low volume offense last year. If he returns to Cleveland and they play in a high volume efficient offense and he continues to earn targets like he's done throughout his entire career, he could, uh, easily finish as a wide receiver too. And if he catches a lot of touchdowns, we could see wide receiver one Jarvis Landry return to form. 
Yeah, uh, he's someone who earns targets, and that's what we care about. And when it comes to <laughs> he's good so offense, cheap. so cheap. I got him for Deami Brown last week in a one for one trade, and that's that's a smash right there. Yeah. But just just to hit on the point you said where Amari Cooper is the biggest winner, I definitely agree with you. But I also think, and you would agree with this, that Amari Cooper is the biggest uh, winner from where he was two weeks ago. But it feels pretty close to lateral from where he was two months ago. Say, yeah. For example, so. Like Amari Cooper goes to Cleveland, and yeah, it's a low volume run first, uh, low lower TD percentage, so lower efficiency offense uh, compared to where he was. And then Deshaun Watson comes to town, and we're likely, like you said, to see that offensive volume with passes climb a little bit. The mm-hmm. TD percentage efficiency is obviously going to get better, but I mean, yeah, a decently high volume passing offense with efficient touchdown numbers sounds a lot like dallas cowboys going i mean like amari cooper feels like amari cooper if that makes any sense like almost every season yeah almost every season of his career he's averaged between like 13 and 15 points per game and it's probably the amari cooper we continue to see yeah we know who he is we don't have to make him anything he's not this is not a bad thing and then i think just to add on like a few other little things for the browns offense like uh and Joku, I think, is a, a winner mm. technically. Like he saw yeah. um, Hooper leave, which I know you'll hear us talk about, like with wide receivers, where like someone gets cut or something like that. We're not too big on it because good receivers earn targets and get on the field. But when we yeah. talk about tight ends, it's a little bit different because there's different ways that they're deployed. You know, because they're not just receivers; they're they're blocking. So there's guys like David and Joku who have been held back a little bit because guys like Austin Hooper are running the routes or um, Harrison Bryant. And it's kind of like a three headed monster, despite David and Joku being decent as a receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, his last two years, like if you just want to look at his last two years, he's got a seven and 11 ish percent target shares those two years. Yeah. And those are on f- about 40 and 50% of roots run, which isn't a lot at all. We usually look for like that 80% number to be like good. Like you're getting used a lot. Yeah. So that is really good when we have like his uh, target rate has been 17% the last two years. Um, his yards per run numbers are like one, two, three, one, five, six last years. Like he's been a productive receiver just on low volume. Plus he's getting low uh, snaps, low, low deployment in the receiving game. And he has mm-hmm. a high A dot. He's not someone for a tight end who's like, we don't yeah. usually love when they just stick close to the line of scrimmage because those are. Oh, yeah. He's not like Jack Doyle or anything. He's yeah, no, he's not a Jack Doyle. Yeah, uh, yeah. I Josh think he's like someone him. that I don't mind throwing like a three at. If you can get a three, uh, and Joku back for a three, like I'm all over that. Yeah, Josh Larky talking. Uh, uh, he made a TikTok about this, and they posted on Twitter how he was, I think, 12th-ish yards per run last year, and then was he top five in yards after catch per reception? Uh, I'm not. I might have to get a fact check on that, but uh, he was, yeah, he's a solid dart throw. He definitely yeah. gets help. You know, he's a tight end. You could just catch ten touchdowns in this efficient offense and finish in the top eight. Yeah, and that's the thing. Sometimes just to be a tight end, one, all you, you don't even need to be that good of a tight end in the receiving mm-hmm. game. You just have to be in a good, efficient offense. Like I'm looking Dol- at Dawson Dol- Knox, Schultz, and Dawson not- Knox, Schultz, Knox, Tunyon. Tunyon. It's just we see these guys all the time. Yeah, like they aren't great receivers by any stretch of the imagination. They just get in an offense where they can score fantasy points. And when you're a tight end, there's like being a tight end one is the difference between not scoring fantasy points and scoring fantasy points. Like that's kind of the 
the bar to be a tight end one in fantasy football. Yeah, um, yeah but, the thing that uh, like Anthony Ferkser or something was like a few touchdowns away from being a tight end one. That's how low the bar is. Yeah, it's a really low bar. I mean, Kyle Pitts was a tight end one on one touchdown, if that matters for anything. <laughs> but uh, one more winner, I would say, from this Browns offense, besides like everyone's already kind of a winner because more touchdowns, higher volume, we're projecting usually is a win for everyone. But yeah. someone like Kareem Hunt, if he were to stay in Cleveland, I've seen, I'm not 100% so. sure what they the tendered, situation is there. They tendered Dearness Johnson, so I think Hunt's gone. Which I good. think I think yeah, is I think a it's a win win for Hunt. If he stays on the team, he's someone who they use like he ca- he's a really good pass catcher. Yeah. So now we drive up the volume and efficiency with his pass catching, and mm-hmm. it's always been a good rushing team, which has helped Hunt and you know because it's been it's been a good line, and I don't think mm-hmm. we should expect that to change too much. And then at the same time, if he gets released, Kareem Hunt has been a bell cow workhorse type running back before. Every year he, that he hasn't played with Nick, Nick Chubb. Exactly. Any someone who catches passes, like what yeah. Leonard Fournette did last year in a good Bucks offense is 100% what we could see with Kareem Hunt when, say, he gets yeah. traded or he gets cut and a contender picks him up. Like good running backs, usually, like when they're at discounts, like last year, look at Leonard Fournette, James Conner, all these guys who have been workhorses, Ben Belkows, they get an opportunity and all of a sudden they're. Are we one issue? workhorses again because yes. uh, teams see the see them be workhorses, carry the load, uh, get a bunch of yards, score a lot of touchdowns, and be productive. And then a team likes that, so they bring them in to be a workhorse for them, and they do it. And he say he'll probably be cheap, and he'll probably be productive. Yeah, and Kareem Hunt, I think, is one of my highest rostered running backs because of that. That's awesome. He has a really high uh, ceiling. Yeah, I mean. We're talking about – I don't think it's totally out of question to see a top five season from Kareem Hunt if he were to go to somewhere good. It's not the expectation, but when he, he has a low snap percentage playing with Nick Chubb and he's still putting up like 10 12% target share numbers and being good in the running game, like Kareem Hunt has a ton of upside. All right. Uh, next up we got the uh, my boy, uh, Matt Ryan. Uh, it's all I've known with Falcons football. I was born in 2002. And he was drafted in 2008. I literally do not remember anything before Matt Ryan. Uh, I don't remember anything about Falcons football before Matt Ryan was drafted. And so seeing him go kind of hurts. But I know it's something that the team had to do. But him in Indianapolis uh, should be good. Yeah. yeah uh, upgrade for from Carson Wentz and Michael Pittman. I still think he's a sell. Uh, but this helps his situation a bit. And... He could continue to compile targets. I don't know if they're going to bring in another receiver. I've seen them, what's it called? Like couch GMs saying (laughs) Julio Jones would be awesome on the Colts reuniting with Matt Ryan. That could be fun, but uh, would definitely cap Michael Pittman a little bit because Julio Jones, when he plays, is a really good receiver. Yeah, and like you said about Michael Pittman Jr. being a sell, I don't think this this necessarily changes all that much for – Michael Pittman, yeah, Carson Wentz isn't a great quarterback, but he wasn't hindering Michael Pittman when it came to um, getting targets down the field because mm-hmm. a 10 dot's decently high. That's working downfield. He got his targets. Uh, his TD uh, rate for Michael Pittman was like four, which is pretty normal. Like It wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. So I think bringing in Matt Ryan in terms of Michael Pittman to him specifically, I, I don't think it's a, a huge upgrade, a huge down, anything like that. I think it's a pretty lateral, like it doesn't change anything. 
Yeah. As far as how I view Michael Pittman. Then uh, Jonathan Taylor's pretty linear too. It's a, it's a pretty linear move in terms of like fantasy outlook and team outlook. Like if the Colts I mean, basically. Yeah, and I think Matt Ryan's better. Like Matt Ryan's yeah. a better quarterback. Like if, if a few, but, I was choosing between last year and this year, if I didn't know how either turned out, I would choose this year to be the better Colts offense just because Matt Ryan's a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. Yeah. Not substantially better, but he is better. Yeah. Well, the the Colts will take their wins. Yeah. Even if they're small. Maybe this time they won't uh, lose the Jaguars and they'll actually make the playoffs. <laughs> you know. We we can hope. But, but it's not a lot of change there. No, and I think more of the change comes on the Falcons side, personally. Yeah. Um, Matt Ryan is someone who's despite his fantasy value and like all that stuff, he's been a good, good quarterback because yeah, he doesn't run the ball, which in fantasy, you know, you kind of need to run the ball. Or Unless you, you throw like game like Tom Brady. Yeah. And Matt Ryan, the Falcons let him throw a decent amount. And he, he like, if we look at his PFF uh, passing numbers, like they're solid, even in year 14 form where he's getting older, clearly, like, as we know, yeah. still last year's 82.1, 76.3, like those, those are solid numbers on decent volume. Like they're still throwing 36, 37 times a game. So mm-hmm. that's one thing we hope the Falcons continue to do is throw the ball a decent amount because guys like Kyle Pitts is someone who we want to catch the ball a decent amount. But yeah, uh, I guess I'll ask you since I kind of already know my answer, but how much does uh, Matt Ryan leaving Atlanta affect how you view Kyle Pitts? In Dynasty, the no change at all. It's just, uh, you know, I'm not really paying that much attention to the quarterbacks there. Marcus Mariota, he'll be good as, like, a spot starter for your Dynasty teams if you got him cheap. Uh, he rushes the ball well, and he's a okay, mediocre passer, but he's not a long-term guy. I think they'll eventually draft someone in 2023, if not 2022. I think it's more likely 2023, but... He's uh Marcus Mariota is going to be a bridge guy, so I'm not downgrading Kyle Pitts at all. Or like panic, hit the panic button because a one-year starter wasn't a good passer during his time in Tennessee three, three four years ago. I'm, it's not something I care about that much. Yeah, and it, it still wheels up for Kyle Pitts in my. Well, that's Kyle Pitts. He has a uh, people that aren't gonna like his value isn't gonna crumble if he isn't uh like top one this year because people aren't like expecting him to be top one. So it's, it'll be fine. People aren't uh, people have high expectations in Dynasty, but from a one-year perspective, people aren't gonna panic if Marcus Mariota doesn't make this offense efficient and high volume, and Pitts isn't um, like really productive. Like we expect touchdown numbers to go up, just because he had one touchdown last <laughs> year. Um, but even so, uh, Pitts Dynasty stock will be fine, and I still like him a lot. Yeah, and especially when we talk in Dynasty when they're this young, it's more just their talent alone kind of dictates what their value is because they're young. And if their peripherals or talents really good, like look at a guy like uh, DJ Moore is still pretty young who doesn't have a wider saver one season, but his peripherals are really good. He's just been on bad offenses. There's going to be a point where say things don't get better and he's 27, 28, like they'll treat him like Terry McLaurin is now. Mm -hmm. That's another thing. Terry McLaurin, He's been stuck in terrible situations, and his value is still pretty solid for being about to be 27 without a wide receiver one season. He's only had one top 24 season, and people still love him. Yeah, because he's just really good. So that's kind of the thing with Kyle Pitts. You don't have to worry about that floor or anything because we 
we have a really good idea that Kyle Pitts is really, really good. But yeah. like the thing you said about Mariota coming in, yeah, he's not as good as Matt Ryan. We're hoping mm-hmm. that the Falcons stay around that like uh, high-ish pass volume, like not just plummet to the ground where they're not throwing a ton because that's the part we're worried about. Because yeah. the offensive efficiency as a whole, yeah, it'll probably go down in general. But for Pitts in this specific situation – um, he caught one touchdown last year. I don't think Matt Ryan leaving is going to be the difference between him catching one and zero touchdowns. Like the offensive efficiency and personally to Pitts isn't something I'm concerned about. Yeah, he'll be fine. Um, I mean, I went from sadly, I have like my DJ Moore shares stacked up, my Michael Thomas and my Kyle Pitts, and they're, they're already, and then uh, I'm expecting a little boost from them, maybe a little quarterback change, a little offensive efficiency right up. And. <laughs> Kind of throw me for a curveball. Might wants to help out Amari Cooper's value, but it's, it's, it's the free be. agent variance, right? Right. I'm just a man standing in front of free agency variance, asking it to benefit my fantasy teams. And in this situation, it, it didn't. Exactly it didn't. Do that. No. We win some, we lose some. Sometimes you end up with Connor and Fournette resigning with their teams, and then we expect more uh, RB one production. And sometimes you end up with DJ Moore having another season of Sam Darnold. I guess it's looking yeah. like maybe the draft I, I, who knows. I don't think it's just us too. I, I I don't know how many people that I talk to or just talk to in general are like, yes, all my fantasy options on the Browns are going through the roof. I'm pretty sure <laughs> the one person that was excited about it was, yes, I can finally flip Amari Cooper. Maybe. I know some people are still holding on to the delusions of grandeur that he this is the year he's gonna break out, guys. The year he finally puts it all together. This is the this first is, time. This is the year Amari Cooper is going to stop being Amari Cooper. That's right. This is. Listen, if Cooper Cup can do it, Amari Cooper can do it. No, <laughs> don't think like that. That's uh, I'm. Bad. I'm pretty sure. I can quick look uh, right here, but also if they were to say that, I'm pretty sure Amari Cooper's uh, highest target share is not going to be as high as Cooper Cup's highest target share pre last year. Pretty sure his highest pre last year was twenty two percent for uh, Amari Cooper for Cup. Uh, yeah, you might be right. I'm about to compare and see. All right, let's compare. Uh, let's see. Yeah, you're right. Twenty two point four would be his highest, which still makes tough. me right because that's higher than Amari Cooper's highest. Not substantial. So I know. No, no, tough. we're talking like point zero or point three percent. Like we're not talking. <laughs> much. Yeah, it's a. Uh... No, that's uh, Cooper Cup's generally going to be the outlier. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, too, with uh, with Cooper Cup, you're like, yes, we got the coveted fifth fifth year breakout. If you're hoping that same thing for Amari Cooper, I I don't know off the top of my head how many year eight breakouts there have been, but I'd be willing to bet it's below five. Yeah, I don't think so. I think the closest off the top of my head, the closest I can think of is Julian Edelman having his first wide receiver one season. At a in year eleven, and I think the other thing we have to remember is Julian Edelman wasn't as good as Amari Cooper. He was terrible. Yeah, uh, Julian Edelman was actually so bad. If anyone was curious, he's the only person that shows up in Denzel Mims's room as good. Like the only hit that happened, or the only no, the only other player in Denzel Mims's oh. room. Damn, is like Julian year Edelman. two range of outcomes. Uh, yeah, well, I do it together, but after his second year, Julian Edelman's the only one standing. That's because Julian Edelman was a round seven quarterback with a transition to wide receiver. And so he took some which, time to break out. Which yeah. says what about Denzel Mims? <laughs> Unless he, uh, still learning the position of football, I doubt that. 
unless he's still learning the position of wide receiver, I doubt that this is going to be uh, Denzel Mims taking a Julian Edelman route to success. Yeah, I'd, and when uh, when like he said, the only person left in Denzel Mims's room after two years is someone who was a round seven quarterback prospect. Yeah, it's uh, it's probably not wheels up. <laughs> That's right. He has the worst. Uh, Julian Edelman has the one of the worst um scores like if any prospect model you come across yours drew's peter howard anyone who prospect uh who models wide receivers the worst wide receiver that's going to show up is julian edelman because he had one <laughs> career catch in college because he was a quarterback for kent state i'm uh like my my number grades which i don't usually like show or anything like that his mm-hmm. was actually a negative before I just made like zero the bottom, like bottom baseline zero. What the heck? That's hilarious, actually. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I actually couldn't tell you off the top of my head how that's possible, but it was with Julian Edelman. I don't know. Do they get subtract? You subtract this uh, simple rating system for their for the division because it's the Mac, and then round seven, subtract that, and then the dominator over average is at the floor. <laughs> And then I, I bet his rise isn't too good either. And so that's how you end up with a negative score. Yeah, I'm just going to say uh, he was probably not a prospect we were taking our shots on. No, definitely not. It's funny, though. Um, so let's transition into uh, a really unique um, profile here. I'll let you start. But Almond Ross St. Brown. And when I say, when I say unique, oh, yeah, um, yeah. I say that because what well, we talked before the show and uh, – not spoiled, but Akash just came out with his comp sheets. And the difference between his comp sheets and anyone else's is that he has Z-score, which for you guys don't know, uh, Z-score basically tells you how actually similar those are. Okay. So you guys have probably seen my ruse where we can get a range of outcomes with that player. Yeah, Akash has a, a part where you can see each player how actually uh, close that player is. So, like, for example, my rue for Amon Ross St. Brown could have Stephon Diggs and Terry McLaurin on it. And they're both there. Whereas if we look at Akash's, his will say like Stefan Diggs has this C score. It's this close to Amon Ross St. Brown and McLaurin's yeah. this close. Sure. Maybe they're both comps. This is just an example. Maybe they're both comps, but mm-hmm. one is a closer comp than the other. So that's the cool thing with Akash's. And right. I said all this to set up that he's unique in the sense that Akash didn't have anyone really close to Amon Ross St. Brown at all. Are you going to let me talk about my own thing? Are you just no. going to spoil it all? No, no. I'm just going to talk. I, I, I want to preface by saying that the reason that I wanted to come out with something like this is because um, to, to try to identify uh, like the differences between my comps and like Drew's comps and Ian's comps is that um, it just shows that like, okay, this is a range of outcomes. Like if you have four really good players and then four really bad players, we'll treat it as a 50-50 uh, proposition of to hit the floor versus the ceiling. Whereas say LaVisca Chanel, for example, his closest comp is John Brown and his second closest is Tavon Austin. And next is Cordero Patterson before we start to get to a few actually good players. And so looking at that, if I had known that last year, I might've been a little less bullish on him, but now I have him on, now he's my most rostered dynasty receiver. So there's no going back uh at this price but that that's just all to say that i think this will give us a lot better understanding of what to expect from a player where if you look at their closer comps you weight that more and so i'm around St. brown what ian was starting to say is he has zero day three wide receivers that are close to him like the closest one is tampa bay mike williams and that's not even a very close comp and the next closest is stefan diggs but if we don't filter for draft capital and we just look at um 
all wide receivers drafted in their first year. The closest wide receivers in their first year to Amon Ross St. Brown's rookie year are Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins, Jalen Waddell, Cooper Cup, Elijah Moore, Devonta Smith, and A.J. Green. And that's all to say that Amon Ross St. Brown has really, really good rookie comps. And I think I'm going to start to buy into him a little bit more. Uh, I'm in the same boat as Akash here, uh, which my comps uh, filtered out or filtered in a lot of those same names that uh, Akash was talking about. But also the thing that stands out with his ruse compared to you know, just other ruse, I guess, is usually when you see the floor, so the ceiling and the floor, the floor doesn't have any production. And there's that risk that this player won't have production, but there's all this upside. Um, the thing with Amon Ross St. Brown's unique rue, I would say, is that his floor is Chase Claypool, who, yeah, he's, he wasn't very productive, but even he has a top 36 season or a wide receiver three season. Like his whole roost, Fawn Diggs, Michael Thomas, Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel, Colston, Bo, Jordan Matthews, McLaurin, Ayuk, Claypool. The thing is, it's hard to say that there's a guy on there besides maybe Claypool that wasn't good, wasn't a good fantasy wide receiver, wasn't good at football. And that's kind of the thing that Akash is pointing out too is we don't 100% know what Amon Ross St. Brown is going to turn into, what he's going to look like, what what all that stuff's going to mean. Yeah. Um, but what we do know is every comparison we're really getting besides like that Mike Williams you talked about has production. Like there's so many productive comps that we're seeing that it seems like Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be someone who's like a high Product. floor type guy despite yeah. – it's seeming like he's not. Right. It, it, it's weird. The draft capital would give you, I think, in my head, that like low draft capital or like not like bad draft capital equals low floor because they could lose their jobs. And that's not to say that that is completely removed from Amara St. Brown's um, possibilities uh, for his career outlook because that's possible for a lot of players, like any player, because there's no guarantees in football. But all of uh, his comps are really good. The closest, um, comp who i think is a miss who isn't even that close of a comp is kelvin benjamin who missed his second year and then off the field issues completely derailed his career and then if you go down and then even kelvin benjamin well, it's, it's i was gonna end. say we could add context to the kelvin benjamin uh comp too yeah because the reason why kelvin benjamin shows up is because he was good he was that's, good in his rookie season. that's right yeah he was and then the the, the guys that kelvin benjamin sandwiched in between on uh, similarity to Amon Ross St. Brown's rookie season is uh, C.D. Lamb and Mike Evans, two guys who we also think are really, really good. And then if you keep going further, and it, as you go further, it's less similar. And so we have less confidence that their, that their career outlooks are going to be similar. You have, I guess, Tampa Bay Mike Williams, who wasn't that productive um, after his rookie season. And then even after him is Stefan Diggs, who was a day three player like Tampa Bay Mike Williams, who was productive after his rookie season. And all this to say that Amara St. Brown has really good rookie season comps. Yeah, and that's like he he's just someone who seems really productive with it, or to us at least just looking through. But I wanted to see because I know this one thing <laughs> that like has been brought up a lot, I should say. But mm -hmm. one thing I wanted to see was who are the day three guys who put up a 78? Because we know Amara St. Brown put up an 80 PFF pass grade, which those don't know PFF pass grade or receiving receiving grade, grade yeah is um it's helpful in our process because it's predictive it's not perfect just like no metrics perfect but 
it's it's a big part of my process, uh, a piece of Akash's process. But anyways, so if you're knocking on him, it's day three, like that he's drafted in round four instead of, you know, where it would like to see him. Here's all the day three guys that put up a 78-plus uh, PFF receiving grade. Stephon Diggs is the minimum. Um, I don't have any route minimum on this, by the way. It's good. It's I should. It's yeah. just uh, eight games here. Eight games played okay. your rookie year. Let's hear it. Uh, Stephon Diggs, Amon Ross St. Brown, Doug Baldwin, Tyreek Hill, Marquez Colston, Antonio Brown, and JJ Nelson. Now I know JJ Nelson and Tony Brown didn't have a ton of routes or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, they had 57 and 80 something. Yeah. So they're low sample you, size kind of guys. Eliminate them both because they don't hit their route minimum. And you're left with a list of all studs. Yeah, the thing the thing was you did a favor by eliminating JJ Nelson because he's the only one here who doesn't have a top wide receiver one season. So yeah. if you eliminate all the small sample traps, uh, you're just left with studs, and Omar St. Brown is lumped in with a bunch of studs there. Yeah, yeah, and even if you take out the small sample, like you're taking out Antonio Brown, one of the best wide receivers right. of our generation. So like that that's mm-hmm. the, like everything we look at everywhere we're looking with. Amon Ross St. Brown, we're just seeing production. And that's that's, right. that's why we like him. <laughs> and it, simply it's put, the guys who, that are productive, we like. It's funny because about three quarters of the season, I had Amon Ross St. Brown as someone who I'd be looking to sell at value, say. Mm-hmm. Like to flip him for an Ayuk, flip him for Michael Thomas, which I still wouldn't dislike. I think those are the guys who might have safer floors, possibly. But anyways, he was someone mm-hmm. who I did. And then he finishes the season, and we get a look at like his season-long grades, which... Yeah, uh, if you guys followed like during the season, one thing that Akash was talking about was wait till the end of the season when we could see the whole grades. Like we can take every single week and just have the largest sample size we can create. Yeah, and then we can take like our get our process guesses, our projections from there because we've built the biggest possible sample size we can. Well, That's when right. we finished compiling Amonara St. Browns, the target share had gone up, the PFF receiving grade had gone up. Like he'd only gotten better, which there's the narrative to that. Oh, the Swift and Hawkinson stopped playing, and then then he went off. That's when he started dominating these targets. Okay, well then you're gonna have to throw in the narrative. What about rookies get better as the year goes on? Because we saw that like with Brandon that's not Ayuk. a narrative. That's statistically true. Yeah, that's that statistically is. true. It's not. I think narrative. it was um, Jack Miller who showed that, and it's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, we saw it firsthand this year. I mean, maybe not Jamar Chase, who kind of just like was NFL ready week one. Yeah, but like like last year, Brandon Ayuk blows up the second half of the season, and there are people that's like, oh, but Kittle and Debo were out a decent amount of those games, and yeah, Brandon Ayuk didn't look great, but that's not why, because we saw once he got out of the doghouse, yeah. Brandon Ayuk was a really good receiver, just returning so, to production, right? Yeah. So and so for Amara St. Brown you still have to earn those targets and produce on them to show up well in these processes. And so if the only reason he produced was because there were no other good players on his team, then why aren't we seeing guys like Denzel Mims produce as rookies, even with no players on his team to compete for targets? Or why aren't we seeing Marquez Callaway do it when there's no one on his team that he's competing with targets for? Like these, the narratives don't work. Uh, Simply put, Amara St. Brown produced well and he earned his volume and he has terrific comps. Yeah. Just like basically production follows this guy, so he's probably going to be productive. That's right. How are you feeling about DJ Moore now that because the hope with DJ Moore was that uh, he was going to get a good quarterback this offseason, 
and super productive peripheral DJ Moore was finally gonna have fantasy success and get out of that situation hell he's been in. Uh, I still feel good about him yeah. because um, what it's maybe Sam Darnold like they could totally replace him uh, with someone like James Garoppolo or I don't know maybe they're out on Baker maybe they're not they could draft someone uh, in this rookie draft in the NFL draft and then DJ Moore could have a good quarterback it's there's a lot of a uh, lot of uh, not, not uncertainty there is uncertainty but in a good way as in I'm not certain Sam Darnold is going to be the quarterback again, which is a good thing because Sam Darnold is really bad. DJ Moore has had Cam Newton, mm-hmm. uh, Sam Darnold, and Kyle Allen. That's right. And that's not even including the the PJ Walker years. Not years, games. Those are really bad. Yeah, basically because I just wanted to look at uh, the offensive efficiency with those quarterbacks. Um, and I'm Kyle Allen's the only one I haven't looked at. But yeah, none of these guys are even touching a 3% touchdown rate when uh, DJ Moore played for them, which is exactly why we can blame DJ Moore not scoring touchdowns on the offense and uh, quarterback as a whole than DJ Moore not being able to personally score touchdowns. Right. All right, now uh, I'm going to ask you about Mike Williams. What are your thoughts on him this year? You know, he just resigned. I wanted to... Talk to the uh, the dear listener, the dear viewer about Bayesian thinking, where basically um, in life in general, but also applying this to fantasy football, whenever you have an idea of what something is and then you get new information, you shouldn't throw all your old information out of the window and just look at your new information. You should take all of it together and then use that to to determine what you expect later. And then applying that to fantasy football with Mike Williams, um, you should expect him to probably uh, come back down to what we saw Mike Williams be for the first four years of his career and not just this one last year of his career. So 15 points per game. I don't expect that again from Mike Williams. Uh, What are you thinking about him? Yeah, he's someone who had me uh, slightly interested in him after he started the season. Um, Good, and not just good, but like where people look into peripherals. And one of the issues with Mike Williams is that he's been this, uh, been Mike Williams his whole career, the first four years, pretty much the same thing. You saw uh, like his, his targets per rerun. So his target rate was 17%, 18% the first four years of his career. Um, but the big thing was the A dot. And the A dot, we don't like to see too low because usually those are. Um, those are easier targets to earn essentially. And also they're less productive because they aren't as deep down the field. So you're getting less yards mm-hmm. in a smaller scheme. And then we don't like it too long because you don't like they dot to be too big. Cause then they end up not earning enough targets because they're working so far downfield. No quarterback has mm-hmm. this insanely high dot to hit him down the field. Now the thing we liked about Mike Williams when he was the wide receiver two to start the first six weeks or whatever it was of the season was that his a dot was actually coming down. His first four years of his career, we saw 12, 15.6, 18.3. Actually, it's funny. And then 15.8, and then last year it was 12. So you get a nice little bell curve, just <laughs> perfect Mike Williams bell curve. Thing was, his dot wasn't insanely high, which made it more realistic for him to have the highest target share of his career. He finished with 20.1%, I believe. Yeah, 20.4% is what I got uh, for Mike Williams' target share, which is the best of his career. It's yeah. the best target rate he's ever had. And most of that we can probably think to that the A dot came down. 
because mm-hmm. he was able to earn more targets, more sustainable. The problem is right. there was also times, especially after that six weeks, where they not just climbed way back up, and we were seeing it wherever. But the thing is, this, the biggest sample size we got after the whole season is the whole finished season. at twelve, which mm-hmm. is a little bit on the high side, but it's right in that eight to twelve range that we're kind of looking for. Okay. So. Yeah. I, I think that that serves well if that's something, a role that Mike Williams will be in. I mean, they paid him. He's going to be a charger. The problem is the Chargers have always used him in this this deep uh, root role. They changed uh, their personnel last year, which I yeah. think was, which is why uh, people were buying back into the role change. And I, I mean, I bought into it, but the thing was it didn't last. And although mm-hmm. altogether it became the smallest, it 12 is pretty high. And yeah. he had... I want to look. I don't have it completely on me, but he had to have a few games of like 18, 16 plus, like a decent yeah. amount. So that just happens when you one big uh, play and then that happens. Yeah. And all the, all this to say, I think he's probably fairly too overvalued. His, um, his range of outcomes includes old Mike Williams, which he absolutely don't like. <laughs> and the middle of the range of outcomes is in between. It goes back to what I was saying with Bayesian thinking. The median expectation for him should be in between 2021 Mike Williams and rest of his career Mike Williams. And so it's not something I'm interested at cost because there's a lot of other productive wide receivers available around there, like Brandon Cooks or something. Or uh, off the top of my head, I don't know, a bounce back from Allen Robinson. You can try to bet on that. Seems like an okay bet at price. Um, Who else we got? We got a bunch of old guys in that range. Mike Williams is also an old guy which people don't think of him as an old guy because he just broke out, uh, but he's 27, 28. And so with the range of outcomes being old Mike Williams, where he isn't productive at all, and he has like 10 points per game, it's not something I'm interested in investing in when there's a lot of other guys who have produced for much longer and have shown um, more stable profiles that are more conducive to production, which I'm more interested in investing in later. Yeah, I'm. I'm in, there's just... Too many ways to take Mike value or Mike Williams' value and pivot, if that makes sense. There's just too many yeah. options around him that are productive, that are stable, that we like a bit the more. Risk like- or, the, like, his profile is total like risk versus reward, and even at, at price, like if I want risk versus reward, I'm uh, I'd be more interested in the young risk reward of like Kadarius Tony. Yeah, that. like if we look at who well. Amon Ross St. Brown's right next to him. If you can trade Mike Williams wow. for Amon Ross St. Brown, you do it. That's um, awesome. Keenan Allen is next to him, mm-hmm. who, despite being older, only a couple years older, I would still rather have Keenan Allen. And then, mm-hmm. like, below him, Marquise Brown would rather have Marquise Brown. Yes. Would rather have DeAndre Hopkins. Would mm-hmm. rather have Brandon Ayuk. Yep. Um, would probably rather have Rashad Bateman as well. Yeah. And then, then it starts to get a little, but now we're getting quite a ways down to where you just take Mike Williams because he's worth more and he has that risk reward upside. Like a Chase Claypool, I'd probably take him over a Chase Claypool. Um, yeah. I don't know. They seem there. similar. I think Chase Williams. Yeah, totally you, has get, like, you get youth out of Claypool. But right. I'm not, it's like, I'm not very interested in both but of the two. I think I'm going to prefer Claypool because Cause of age. Yeah. Okay. They, so they probably have very similar production. It's just one's a lot younger, and one would carry more value if you were to um, have good production. Yeah, if, if they were both to put up 14 points per game next year, it's Claypool with higher value, no question. Yeah, but and it, even so, like Mike Williams could have 14, and Claypool could have 12, 
and yeah. Claypool would still give you like barely less production. You lose a little bit of production, but the value is uh, will be sustained a lot easier. Yep. And so here's here's what I'll ask you to wrap up our Mike Williams little segment. Right. Would you take you could take value out of it? Who would you rather have, Juju Smith Schuster or Mike Williams? That's a tough one. I think I think I'll I'll go Juju. Okay. Yeah, I, I think Better history production. Now he's uh in a high volume, high efficiency offense. A lot of people are like, I don't like Juju in this offense because they haven't supported a wide receiver the the wide receiver two there. Um as if you can blame that on like not as well as if you can say like because Miko Hardman couldn't do it, no one can. That's not something yeah. I would say at all. And so to, no, if, if your reason for liking yeah, if your reason for liking or disliking Juju Smith-Schuster is because of the offense he's in, that's that, the, the opposite. Totally you should wrong. be excited about right. him because of the offense he's in, kind of. like Right, it's one of not, the better not 100%, players. Like, like people got excited for McCall Hardman purely because of the offense he was in, whereas Juju yeah. Smith-Schuster, we have a production history, and he's in this offense. So Right, and if you're scared of the offense, it's only a one-year deal. Like, you could totally be somewhere else yeah. next year. But it it is funny actually that I did ask the Juju Smith versus Mike Williams because when you think about where they are in their targets, they're kind of like the complete opposite. Like when we think of Juju, mm-hmm. he's that close to the line of scrimmage guy, maybe like a little too low a dot for what we're looking for, and then Mike Williams is on that little too high <laughs> side. We just can't seem to get it right, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But uh, that's def- that's definitely a good question. Their their values are like two ships passing in the night because one was productive in twenty twenty. 2021 and then i expect one to be more productive in 2022 and so their values are just like yep bad uh, all right next next segment what should we talk about now this is fun jalen hurts uh, a uh, what's the thing that you said about someone else before a violation of rational thinking mm, we can't that steal that title before. we can't steal that title because that would be rude that would but be it rude. is true about jalen hurts that is a uh, values or a, a violation of rational thinking. Yeah. So I guess I'll just jump right into Jalen hurts, but Jalen hurts was good in fantasy last year. He was, he yeah. was really good. He was a top five quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. We could thank that too. an insanely high carry percentage. Like he was rushing a ton. Yeah. The thing with uh, Jalen or uh, Jalen hurts is we do have to like, when it comes to quarterbacks more so than really any other position, we kind of have to separate fantasy in a way from real life. Because 100%. being good in fantasy as a quarterback doesn't necessarily mean that you are good uh, as an NFL quarterback for what, mm-hmm. what what an NFL GM is looking versus what a fantasy football GM is looking for. Like with Jalen Hurts, if you took him last year, which for his production was a steal because he was top five quarterback that didn't cost close to that. Now, yeah. from a dynasty perspective, why do you not cost close cost close to that? Well, his Prospect profile wasn't great at all. He was a, he was a second round pick, which is which it, when it comes to NFL quarterbacks, unless you light it up right away, you are far more likely uh, to have less stability because you're a second round pick. They don't, they aren't tied to you in any way, shape, or form. Take like Sam Darnold for example. How long was he with the Jets? Despite them probably having a really good idea that he's a bad quarterback. That's right, and then he gets traded to the Panthers, and they still believe he's, on him. Despite and he might have another year as a starter. That's right. All, all because he had the high pedigree. All because he was the third or second or third overall pick. All Versus Drew Locke, who was a second round pick. 
he had some hype, just like a lot of young players have hype because eternal optimism. He has one bad year, and then he loses his job to Teddy Bridgewater. That's more in line of what um, to expect from round for any quarterback drafted after round one, basically. Yeah, and the thing with uh, Jalen Hurts, so like a few of the arguments or like takes I've seen. So at the end of the season, there was, I remember it was pretty popular. It was, would you take the 101 in this year's class or would you take the uh, Jalen Hurts? And That's surprisingly, a- at least from like the group that I was a part of or saw, Jalen Hurts was the consensus in that group that that's that's who you that's take the winner of the poll wow. that's the winner of the poll and that's outrageous. it was it was outrageous because there was the comparison to well look at lamar jackson's second year what the here's won the mvp just yeah just to uh to kind of i don't know get rid of that narrative just like really quick mm-hmm. if we use clean pff pass grade which for those who don't know is is a good indication of whether you're passing good or you're passing bad. Just in general, it's supposed. The idea is that uh, you take out um, like how terrible your line is, for example, mm-hmm. so that you can cool. um, you can compare quarterbacks on an even playing field. That's that's essentially the goal of this, and it's predictive, so it's a good metric. But anyways, Lamar Jackson in his second year, the year he won MVP, has a clean pass grade of eighty-eight point three. So nice. uh, in his second year. We have a really good idea. Lamar, despite being this crazy high rusher like Hertz has been, he also is really good at passing the ball. What is Jalen Hertz his second year? 76.3. Uh, oh, yeah. It's uh, sorry. I was on the wrong one there. 74, actually. 74.3. So, yeah, he's not someone who are like, wow, he is this terrific passer. Yeah. Um, the NFL loves him. The problem is, he was a second-round pick, mm-hmm. so there's that. And he wasn't a good passer, so there's also that. Now, if you guys want to know, because this will apply even more context, I'll go, um, who's around Teddy Bridgewater, basically? So in his second year, I'll go six spots above him, six spots below him. Here are the names. Chad Henney, Matt Ryan, Josh Allen, Cam Newton, RG3, Mariota, Teddy Bridgewater, Jacoby Brissett, Gardner Minshew, Mayfield, Bortles, and Andy Dalton. Wow. There, I mean, the Josh Allen one, please do not get excited that I just said Josh Allen <laughs> because Josh Allen is like the epitome of an outlier. Yeah. He, he, he wasn't supposed to do that. Um, That's right. But the, all those people I just said besides Matt Ryan and obviously Josh Allen, who are both ahead of him, by the way, by a few points. Those none of those were good at passers. Most of those got replaced. Robert Griffin the third was a high draft pick and still got replaced. Marcus Mariota was a high draft pick, still got yeah the injury for Robert Griffin. Robert Griffin yeah. had a fantastic rookie season. Oh yeah, he was one of the best passers as an elite that we have. So that that's but a then tough the injury to say. And we're yeah, this is an injured RG injured RG three too. Yeah. So that says something. And then Marcus Mariota replaced. Teddy Bridgewater replaced. Mm-hmm. Not 100% sure what Brissett was. I think Bridgewater uh, got hurt too. He yeah, had but, bad ACL tear and then got cut. Yeah, yeah. But there's, and then Baker Mayfield is now getting replaced. Blake Bortles mm-hmm. was replaced. Gardner Minshew was replaced. Andy Dalton. Well, Andy Dalton's a tough one because it was in year two, but they kind of just let him be. Andy Dalton forever, and he was drafted higher than Jalen Hurts was, which was also the thing, because 
if you're like, well, Andy Dalton, he uh, he had very similar passing, uh, whatever his second year, and he was with the Bengals for ten years. Like, if I get ten years of Jalen Hurts, oh my goodness, just imagine. Here's the problem: the Bengals probably one shouldn't have done that, and two, they drafted Andy Dalton high in the first round. They were tied to him as a franchise. They drafted him in the second. They did. Ugh. Yeah. All my analysis is wrong right now. Everything. They, they drafted AJ Green fourth, and then Andy Dalton like yep, two thirty fifth overall. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so Andy Dalton sounds like a good comp for uh, his passing. Okay, that's not ideal. No, I mean basically I was wrong about that last part, but to my point, uh, it's still not uh, <laughs> not fantastic because. You have yeah. one guy who seems similar and then a bunch of guys who got replaced. Yeah. Uh, and Lamar Jackson's, if we were curious, like who's his was close to, like Ryan Tannehill, second year Carson Wentz, Russell Wilson, Herbert, Watson, Mahomes. Those are some really good players. Yeah. He's actually right next to Colin Kaepernick. That's kind of funny. That's interesting. Kaepernick was a, was a round two guy too, right? Or was he round three? Uh, he was round two or three. Yeah. He got replaced yeah. in the end. Was, a lot of these round two, three guys get replaced. Um, the the guys who were drafted after round one, who are starters right now in the NFL, are Carr, Russ, Dak, Brady. Uh, who else? Am I missing anyone? Uh, I was Eric just going to. He's a starter right now. But then the, the list isn't that long because there's not a lot of um, not a lot of round one, around like quarterbacks who go after round one who start for very long. Yeah, Unless you uh, completely blow it out of the water, like rusted or like Dak did or like Carr did or like Brady did. Yeah, that's kind of the issue. Like they were talking about is unless you're going to come out and be really good in the NFL, like you're a really good passer. Like you talk about Russell Wilson was a third round guy. His first two years in the league, he had a 90 plus clean PFF <laughs> pass grade. He, he passed really well. Like Dak oh, yeah. Prescott was really good. For sure. Um, so what I did was Cousins I took, is another guy on the list. That's about it for guys. Yeah, who were and Cousins was player. good when like, yeah, yeah, Cousins he was good. That's good. why he's kept around, and that's why he got paid because he was good yeah. as a passer. But uh, looking at second round guys who played in the NFL last year, we do get a large list. None of them really good besides, like you said, like Dak and Russ, which are guys who lit up the league. Um, and I think Derek Carr is someone who could go into that. Derek um, had a good uh, second year before his leg injury. He even he got an MVP. And he's, he's still a really good passer. Yeah, for fantasy we don't like him because there's no upside in Derek Carr. All Derek Carr is just a good passer. Yeah, that's right. But um, that's the point. He's a good passer, so he's going to get paid. He's going to keep his job. He's going to have that stability. That's what yeah. we don't have with Jalen Hurts is that we know he's just really good fantasy rusher, not the most fantastic passer. And if like, you're yeah, just like in like that. that at price, like for very similar value to Hertz, you can get the one on one or one or two, or maybe even a little bit extra because people seem to prefer him to those picks. You get Brees. That's we love Brees because he's a really good running back and people love running back, so his value will be fantastic. But we also have Malik Willis, where you get all the same rushing with more value insulation because he'll be a rookie and then we give rookies chances, especially when they go high in round one. And that round one capital will give him insulation in the NFL will have better job security than Jalen Hurts has. So you get all of the upside with a lot less downside and yeah. more job security. So even if we pretend that Malik Willis is the 101, 
which she's not. We actually think there's a better prospect we can get more value on. So, but let's just pretend for this argument's sake that Malik Willis is the 101. So these people were, the group was arguing Jalen Hurts or Malik Willis, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like you said, Malik Willis is likely a top 10 pick, at least the way we're seeing, we're hearing everything. It seems like he's a top 10 pick. You know what that means? Gosh, that means job security. That means whether you are a terrible passer in your first year or second year, possibly the franchise is likely going to start you again because they invested in you. They are tied to you and they believed in you at one point. Look at Josh yeah. Allen. Josh Allen, top 10 pick. Terrible, abysmal, <laughs> bad first two years. Yeah. The, he if, if Josh Allen was a second round pick, he's not a starter in year three for the Buffalo Bills. There, that is not a question. Yeah. I mean, so it's that, literally like if uh, Josh Allen didn't have first round capital and he had and he had the first, same first two years that he had, you're basically talking about Drew Locke, who then, who then lost his job. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but then if you look at Malik Willis, if he goes high round one, you're basically looking, he doesn't even have to be a very good passer to keep his job. And you look at Cam Newton, um, who wasn't a very good passer throughout any of his career, but he was a franchise guy, drafted to be their franchise guy, so he stuck around as their franchise guy. It's kind of how these teams view their quarterbacks like that. Yeah, and so basically you're getting like basically like Kosh did you get the same rushing, so you get pretty much the same level of upside, if not a little more with Willis, because him being drafted in the top ten tells us he's probably a better prospect in general. Mm-hmm. So we have reason to believe he's probably better than Jalen Hurts in general. So not only are you getting the higher floor because of job security and stability, you're also likely getting the higher upside because Malik Willis is a better prospect. That's right. At price, there's no reason to be in on Jalen Hurts when he goes around so many uh, also good players. If he was a lot cheaper, maybe I'd be more into him. But if you're just looking for short-term production, you can totally invest in Russell Wilson or Matthew Stafford for cheaper prices at your quarterback for very if, similar production. If you're looking for a top five season as and you're a contender who's just all in, and you just mm-hmm. you just want a top five season, even if it means it's only one more year and might not be next. Great. Sure, that 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 could happen to Jalen Hurts, or you could do it ten times cheaper with Tom Brady. <laughs> yep. There's uh there's just so many ways you can pivot off Jalen Hurts' value. You could even parlay him. His value is high enough that you could probably, without giving up too much, parlay him into an elite quarterback. Yeah, like, uh, Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray. Yeah, I bet you like. Like those trades, like you're talking about, like what can I add to Jalen Hurts to get me Lamar Jackson? What can I add to get Kyler Murray? I'm sure whatever you're adding is 100% worth it because there is a very, like if we take the median range of outcomes, like that's kind of on the fence whether Hurts is going to be a starter next year or the year after, I would assume. So there's that chance you paid whatever the extra was and a backup quarterback for a league winner, top five dynasty startup asset. Yeah, that's right. Which is 100% worth it. 100%. You should be moving mountains to get Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray on your fantasy teams. Uh, yeah, and if it's going to cost you Jalen Hurts plus, then do it. I'm with you. I should wrap it up for Jalen Hurts. Thank you so much for listening, for watching on YouTube, if you're watching on YouTube, to the R Squared Fantasy Football Podcast. Once again, you can find me on Twitter at YZR underscore fantasy. Ian? And you can find me at dynasty underscore I am. That's right. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to go down, 
like the video and comment it really helps us out. We love hearing you guys' feedback. Thank you so much for watching and goodbye. Later.